And so this is how today's sermon starts, is that hope is a, a powerful thing. Hope is a powerful thing. So if you just Google a quick search for stories on hope, right, you search will just be flooded with hundreds and if not thousands of these stories of what hope looks like. We love stories. We love stories of hope. I mean, that's the reason we go to the movies. That's the reason we buy of, of books is because of these, this idea that the story just pushes, pushes this idea. Even in a current context of, like, of, of superheroes and villains, we want the good guy to, to end. And that's the, there's a reason for that. There's a reason because um, the story shape of, of most narratives look a little bit like this. And I don't know why this is not working. But uh, it, it'll, it'll catch up at some point. Um, there's this idea that there's a character. There's a character. And the character breaks the, his stuff. All right. So, well, there, we won't need this. If that catches up, y'all let me know. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Um, so there's a character. And the character has this conflict. And then this conflict is, creates just like this, this tension in between him. And then with this tension, tension right, there's, there's got to be some type of resolution. And that resolution happens in one of two ways. Either the person like succeeds amazingly, right, or he fails miserably. And so this is how all story happens, is, is just looking at this character, watching him or her go through a crisis, wondering what the resolution will is, and either something amazing happens and they drive into the sunset or something terrible happens and they drive off the cliff. We're fixated on this idea that we all want stories to end well because we hope that the good guy ends in the end. And we love to place our hope in the idea that all things will turn out well. So obviously today is about hope, right, because of 1 Peter 1. However, we want you to know that uh, a hope that's misplaced can be just as dangerous as a hope that is rightly placed. So think about that. If you put your hope in the wrong spot, hope that is misplaced is a dangerous for us. So take, for instance, 1939. John Steinbeck published a book called The Grapes of Wrath. Some of you had to read it in, in high school or whatever, right? And so Steinbeck was just, just moved by just the poverty that he saw in California. And so he takes us on a journey of the Joad family. It's a family of, it's a farming family. They're from Oklahoma and they're on their way uh, to, to California. So with the great Dust Bowl, right, the Joad family undergoes great economic pressure. And uh, so this environmental and then also economic and just this kind of this turmoil happened. Like, what are they going to do? And so in, uh, just out of the blue, there was uh, a flyer that shows up uh, at, the, at the family farm. And on this handbill, there's this, this idea of hope. If you go to California, if you move your family from the Dust Bowl to the West Coast, everything will be okay. Because you know what's there? There's jobs, good paying jobs. The land is lush and it just builds up this unbelievable idea of hope. And so the family jumps at it at a moment's notice. Now, most of us know the story and just the promise of California just didn't work out the way they thought. 
So even the trip was extremely hazardous. Grandma and grandpa lose their lives. And then when they arrive in California, it is exactly opposite of what they find. They were promised this land of milk and honey. Instead, they found squalor instead. They were promised great jobs and great paying jobs, but instead all they found was poverty, not enough to even eat. There was no housing. (laughs) It was terrible. And so here's what Steinbeck was trying to do. He was trying to bring us all into this idea or just this impulse of what sorrow actually could mean with misplaced hope. The only reason they left Oklahoma was to arrive in a better place because hope is powerful. And hope is the thing that God's people have a hold of. The book of 1 Peter is trying to push us to a hope. Not a misplaced hope, but a a real hope. He's a pastor, and he's a good one. He's an apostle, so he speaks with authority. And under the power of the Holy Spirit, we see and we understand the landscape in Asia Minor, in modern-day Turkey, is changing. Because difficulties have come to the local church. There has been just friction that has happened inside family units for people who have followed Jesus. The first century readers were reading this manuscript as a people who were feeling the tension. And the only thing that they had done was follow Jesus and start acting like a Christian. And for that, great resistance had been met to them. And so what do you do? (laughs) What do these people do? Well, they place their hope in something. Well, the year 2022 is among us, and we're starting to feel some rumblings of what it means to be a Christian and to follow Jesus. And we know that throughout this this book, it's, 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 it's an ethic or an idea to be separate or to be set apart from the culture that's going one way. We have to go another, and that's going to create hardship in our lives, hardship in our families, hardship at work. And so where do, when friction or conflict or difficult come, difficulty comes, where do you place your hope? Where are you going to go? Because hope must be properly placed. Amen? If you hold a handbill and say, that's where all of my hope is, is to go to another place or to pick up another hobby or to go into another relationship. And that's what gravitates you toward hope. And you don't think about the words of First Peter, then you and I will be poorly misled. And so this morning we want to listen to the, the words of First Peter once again. And we want to be reassured of a true and powerful hope that is properly placed in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So the challenge to our people, God's people this morning, is to imagine exactly where you and I are placing our hope this morning, especially if it's not in Jesus. And that's our main idea. Like, what do we run to so quickly? What do we hold on to quickly? Where does our imagination go when difficulties come? The pressure's coming, men and women of faith. By claiming the name of Jesus and the ethic of Jesus, the day is coming. Where will you gravitate toward?
1 Peter 1, 3 through 5 really will help us. So hope properly placed, number one, is God and God alone. Just look at verse 3. So where do we properly place our hope? It seems simple. It seems like a Sunday school answer, but it's in God and God alone. Think about last week. We see the triune God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit doing amazing things in the same way in verse 3. The very first pericope in 1 Peter is this idea that God the Father, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So class, where should we start? Where should we start? We start with God. We start with this idea that you and I, we get to, we get to bless God. We walk into a worship service for God himself. Just imagine the original audience. It's pain, despair, frustration, friction, all of the words. And Peter says, I just want you to worship. I want your gaze to go up rather than down. I want you to put your focus on God alone. He starts with praise. He, he starts with this idea of worship. Now this may appear strange to you and I as we sit here, right? But let's not forget about the original audience. Let's put ourselves in their shoes just for a second. They're theological exiles. What they believe about God has put them on the outskirts of town. And if the commentaries are correct, right? This culture has started to turn against them. And then as a Christian doing Christian things, some passive things have moved onto their plate and into their worlds. Things like simple things, like maybe a loss of possession or a loss of land. Or maybe the thing that was granted you was actually taken away from you. Maybe that, that, that chair of that board that you were supposed to do, you were bypassed simply because you claimed the name of Jesus. Maybe a spouse walked away from you because you're following this Jesus guy way too much. Whatever it is, in the midst of the first century, there was rumblings for following Jesus. And so what were the solutions? What did Peter walk toward us with? Right? What is the question and answer? He just leaves us to put our eyes on Jesus once again. To simply bless God from whom all... Um, sorry, I just... Bless God from whom all blessings, blessings, that's the word, from whom all blessings flow. That's what we do. And so before Peter gets to anything practical, he wants you in our hearts to do what we're doing right now, to put all of our attention and all of our focus on who God is. It seems simple. It seems simple, right? But think about our missionary friends right now, right? Just think about some of the situations that they have been put in even today because of the name of Jesus. What are they going to do? Are they going to trust their instincts? Are they going to try to bend towards circumstances? Or are they really going to rest on the living word that says that God is the one who reigns supreme? And that's what we want. We want to properly place our hope in God first and foremost. We're surrounded by a culture that's begging and urging us to become more and more self-caring, right? Trying to beg you that when you feel discomfort, you just gravitate toward making yourself feel a little bit better about yourself. When discomfort comes, that you just gravitate toward comfort or self-preservation. And you and I all do it, don't we? 
Because that's when the friction comes and there's just a little bit of discomfort, we run toward figuring out things for ourselves. It's true in your life and it's true, true in our lives. Now compound that, not just difficulties, but difficulties for following Jesus. You cannot trust those instincts of self-care and self-preservation. They will lead you down the wrong road. God is asking us to live a separate life. And the separate life is someone that's not self-preservation, but to fix our eyes on God simply. It's a very important question that you and I need. Like when we are confronted with the pressures in an exiled status, what do we do first? And is our first instinct praise and worship and glory and blessing to God for God alone? God for what he, who he is and God in what he's done. Is that our first instinct? And I believe that you and I, we don't do that well. I don't think we do that well to run to God first and foremost. Again, this seems simple, but First Peter starts, blessed be the God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is begging us to worship him. And it's hard to do it by ourselves. And that's why the gathering each and every Sunday is so important because we will wander and then it'll pull us back. It'll snap us back. And so our commitment just to simple things like daily Bible reading and prayer, simple things like just coming even when you don't want to come into a space like this because you get to pray for the hurting. You have a moment of solidarity that there's, it's more than me that's going through this. And you get to be encouraged and get our eyes farther up than, than down. So God wants us to worship him. So number two, hope properly placed. And the, the, the passage just continues. On a God who actively saves. And so where should we put a hope, right? Our hope is not on, only on God, but a God who's active, right? And whose activity is simply to save. Look at verse three for us. You see God is the God who... Oh, it's up here. So, verse 3. Uh, God, blessed be our God and, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. And there is an unbelievable participle. That's a verb. And he has caused us to be born again. You see that? Verse 3. This is an active God who is active on our behalf that he has caused us to be born again. You keep going in verse 4. You see, and to an inheritance that is imperishable and defied, and you go to, keep going, kept in heaven for you. And who is doing this keeping? It's God, and he's active. And he's active in your salvation and mine. You keep going in verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Do you see that? So with God and God's saving activity, you see how it's been caused that you are born again how it is being kept through an inheritance in heaven for you, and how he guards you through faith. He guards, he keeps, and he causes. We get to worship God fully and completely. It's a beautiful little paragraph. And it also redirects where and how we worship. Because God is intimate and he is personal. And when we pray, we usually ask him to answer our prayer requests or something like that. 
But there's something bigger and bolder than him just answering your specific prayer requests. It's what he has done before all creation began. Verse 1 says, God the Father foreknew, and now he has caused something to erupt in your heart that was never there. This longing for him, this desperation and hunger for God alone, and this, this, this hurt and this pain of sinful and your sinfulness. This is what God does for us. And the only reason this matters for us to look at God and to see his activity and to put the hope there is to realize that we are exiles or we're becoming exiles. And to remember that the state of being an exile is simply, and here's the definition of to be barred from one's native uh, country. Typically for political or punitive reasons, the definition says. Like you are on the outskirts. You are pushed to the sidelines. You no longer matter. You are, never, you are no longer in the center of culture. You are not a mover and a shaker. Instead, you have been isolated or alienated. You are in exile. And when you are on the outskirts, and you're on the precipice of literally falling off the edge, you can now no longer trust in your own strength and your own wisdom. What you need when you're on the edge is to trust in a God who preemptively does amazing things for his people. Primarily, he causes us to be born again. He keeps an inheritance for us and he guards us through faith. And so where is our hope placed in an exiled state? What do you cling to? Just what do you cling to when the pressure comes and the pressure is real and the discomfort is real? Where do you go? To whom do you go? Because exile is never a positive term. It's never a statement of encouragement. If we look embedded in this one word are words like estrangement and loneliness and displacement. Exiles cannot have the same expectations as citizens. We're from a different place. And so what Peter is trying to beg his people this morning to do is to lift up our eyes to simply to put our eyes on him who does amazing things for us, to stop looking at our circumstances and start looking at him. So let me ask you a question. If I was to ask you personally, don't answer this out loud because you may get this answer wrong. All right, so don't answer it out loud, but definitely answer it uh, in your heart. But how did you come to salvation? How did you come to salvation? What would your answer be? Again, don't answer it out loud. Some of you responded, well, I asked Jesus into my heart. Some of you said, well, I repented and believed in Jesus. 
some of you had a, a simple question. It was like, well, I had faith in Jesus for what he could do for me. Well, although technically all those answers are correct, they're also unbiblical. Because when you answer a question, how did you come into salvation? And you start that sentence with I. And you start it with a personal pronoun. It takes away from the grandeur and the majesty of 1 Peter 3, 4, and 5. You see, our sentence, when it comes to our identity in Christ and our identity and where we belong, starts with who He is and how He has granted this for us. Just in how we say something simple like how we came into salvation, if we don't start from what He has done for us first, we're already off in the wrong direction. You see, Peter wants us to give him the credit, give him the credit fully and completely. The one who's guarding and keeping and causing, give him the credit this morning. Let him, let him hear you say thank you for what he has done for you fully and completely. And that's why Steinbeck's story is so strong this morning. So where did they put their hope and their trust? They put it in something, someone, maybe even themselves. As God's people heading toward on a journey of our own, we know that God is the author and so third, th four, uh, lastly, hope properly placed is on the resurrection of Jesus. And in a morning where we're thinking about a young life taken way too early, thinking about clearing our schedules tomorrow for a funeral, there's no better passage for us to not think through cognitively, but to think through devotionally the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so where do we properly place our hope? It's in the resurrection of Jesus. You know, that's the reason we named our church Red Stone Church. Because red stands for the blood of Christ Jesus that was shed for our sins. And the stone is the stone of remembrance that was rolled away as we think about and we contemplate the fact that Jesus Christ is the one who has conquered sin and death. Red Stone Church. And so even in our own, if you call this home, even our church recognizes that, this, that the resurrection changed everything. And it changes everything because the fact is that you and I are immortal. No matter how we live this life or how we, you know, what we believe, that whether you believe in Jesus or not, I, we will live forever. And in our immortal state, the question is, but where and how and with whom? The resurrection of Jesus tells us if we follow Jesus, we are offered a life that wasn't even ours. That we get a promise that is so unrecognizable that it's hard to even believe. That the inheritance that you and I cling to this morning is this idea that our inheritance is imperishable. That our inheritance is undefiled and unfading and it's kept in heaven for us. 
That's where we're going and that's what we will experience. Hope properly placed on the resurrection will change all of us forever for good. That back pain, right? You know, that strained ACL, right? That eyesight that's going, that job that you just lost, right? The refrigerator whose ice maker has never worked after seven of them. I know, me too, dude, me too. All of it is heading downward. All of it is called the second law of thermodynamics. It's called the law of entropy. It goes from order to chaos. That's the way it goes. And yet Peter has the audacity to tell God's people who is experiencing unbelievable pain and discomfort, say, but it will not always be this way. There will be an existence that is undefiled, that's imperishable, unfading. This is our hope, ladies and gentlemen. This is our resurrection totally observed in our own personal being. He's welcoming us all into that reality. Everything that Jesus conquered and called to himself, he will welcome us and share with us for all eternity. That's it. Life. Not in this world, but another one. No more pain or sorrow, no more tears, no more disease. That's what he offers. So when trials come and pain comes, simply for being a Christian, what are you going to hold on to? Our prayer as elders is that 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5 will find its way in your heart in 10 or 15 or 20 years from now if we're still here. When discomfort comes, that it will come bubbling back out of you. Because Jesus Christ, when he rose from the dead, he says, sin has lost and death, the enemy has lost. And so we set our minds on things above and not on things below. So hope. Hope misplaced can be just as dangerous. My question is, is have you walked in unknowingly, walked into this room with a displaced hope? Where you're clinging to something that this world offers, but only Jesus can grant. What we're going to do, we're just going to pause and we're going to pray. We're just going to give you some time to wrestle with the Lord and to ask, Lord, have I misplaced my hope in something other than you? Let's pray. Father, your people, we're a humble people and we are a confessional people. Oftentimes, our pride gets in the way. But Lord, this morning, we want to say that we're sorry. And we're going to ask forgiveness. And we need repentance. Will you forgive us for clinging to something that this world offers? But only what you can grant Will you forgive us of our misplaced hopes? 
Will you capture our attention this morning? Will you capture our imagination this morning? Will you give us a new vision for our life? And when you, will you help us to think about a, the place that we're going that will not perish and will not fade? The whole world around us is fading and diminishing. And yet with the person and work of Jesus, because of what you've done, your one act of sacrificial death, you defeated sin and death for us. There may be some in here this morning who's clinging only to the world. And this morning you want to give your life to Jesus. But you, because you cannot get those words out of your mind. And you long to be of a world and be of a worldview that is undefiled and unfading and imperishable. Lord Jesus, will you do your saving works on the souls of men and women this morning? King Jesus, we love you. That's why we pray to you. And we come to your table now. And it's your name we pray. Amen.